Thank you, team. That will be a glorious day. Amen? Are you looking forward to that? I don't know about you, but I am so glad that my hope is not in anything that the world has to offer, but it's in exactly what we just sang about, and that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Amen? It's already been done. It's already been completed. The payment for our sin has, has been met, and, and we know that one day we will stand in glory because of that. What a beautiful thought. 20 new people uh, we've heard about accepting that same salvation news. Isn't that awesome? And uh, yeah, you can clap again. That's all right. Um, I'm excited for that. And our hope is in that. You know, it reminds me that our hope is not in the things of the world. It's, in fact, when we, in fact, I don't know about you, but watching the news this week is, was downright depressing. Anyone else feel that way? <clears throat> downright depressing because uh, what we find is, is what's going on in the world is typical of the world. It's typical of what, what, uh, what, what we see going on around us. It's because of our human sin natures, right? And of course, I think most of you know that what I'm talking about is just seeing this back and forth escalation of, of racial, racially motivated violence, right? Is that, is that what we, uh, we all saw the same news, right? And, it, and, it's, and it's sad. But I want, you to, I want to remind you that the answer really isn't in the government. It's not there. In fact, what we see historically is oftentimes when they try to intervene, sometimes they just make it worse, you know. And, uh, and <clears throat> but the answer, I believe, is in us. You know, the answer is in us. Jesus told us, let your lights so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so I think now more than ever, it is time for us as believers to show the world the answer to these problems that they're dealing with. Does that make sense? And you know what? And, and if I could preach a mini-sermon this morning before we even get into Romans, is that okay? Uh, um, I just want to say, uh, the, the Scriptures has the answers to the problems that the world's going through right now. And uh, this whole concept of racism, it's, it's human nature to despise anyone who's different than you, right? It's, that's human nature. Uh, but the Bible gives the answers to that. Uh, it's very simple. Where do we learn the value of, of a human being from God's word. We were made in God's image. We reflect the image of God. By the way, who was made in the image of God? At first, it was Adam and Eve, right? And then we find that all human beings, every single one, everyone in here, I don't care what color your skin is, I don't care what ethnicity you claim, all of us in here came from those same two people. Amen? Amen. That means really there's only one human race. We find that from Scripture. This is different than what you'll find in the public schools. Right? In fact, uh, uh, in fact, there is only one theory allowed to be taught in public schools about how we even came into existence, and that's Darwinism. Right? And I just wanted to share the, the, what he's most famous for is his book called Origin of the Species. Right? Wrong. That's only part of the name of his book. Here's the full name of his book, Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Right? What you find is the doctrines that are being taught in our public schools create an environment where it's survival of the fittest. But as Christians, we see the truth of God's word. And in fact, instead of, of condemning the races like that, we, we find them, there's now a Darwin Day that our government has has proposed to celebrate people like Darwin. And I'll tell you what, we have got to be a louder voice than ever before. 
because it's through our culture, it's through our education, it's through, through our, uh, all the powers that be. They're pushing, the, 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 they're pushing, they push for racial tolerance, but at the same time they send a mixed message by pushing things that create ra- racism. Does that make sense? And, and so as, 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 a, as believers, I would encourage you to, to respond. Make it simple. I'll give you three words. They all begin with S, just to make it simple. Number one, study. Study the Bible, because the Bible answers a lot of the questions that people have about racism. Amen? The Bible tells us, in fact, uh, you see from, from, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, you know, in Genesis, when, when God chose Abraham, he said to him, I, I'm blessing you so that you can bless all of the families of the earth. That was God's goal from the beginning, was to reach and bless all the peoples of the earth, right? You go, you go to Revelation, you go to chapter 7 of, of Revelation, and this is what we read when we have a picture of heaven. So if you want to know what heaven's going to be like, this, this is it. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's a multi-ethnic, multi-colored, if we could say that, because we, we, it doesn't matter the, the, the language you speak, the color of your skin, the ethnicity that you claim, guess what? The picture of heaven is when all of us, in all of our differences, reflecting the image of God and the diversity of the nature of God even, uh, because of the diversity amongst us, that's real unity. And that's what, what is the pinnacle of history. So, so, so we need to reflect that in the way we live our lives now. Amen? And I know, sorry if I'm, I get a little passionate about this, you might be able to tell. Um, but we need to be out there. So study the Bible. The Bible has the answers. Number two, speak. Get out there and, and let people know uh, the truth. We need to get, engage in our culture. Don't let them be the only voices out there. Get out there and speak. Can we do that? In the conversations that you have, uh, um, whether it's on social media or on the street or with relatives and with your neighbors, speak. So study, speak, and number three, shine. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. We can do that, amen? And so I want to begin today, even before getting into Romans, just praying for our nation and praying for the church, okay? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our nation, or we love this nation. We love the freedom that we have to be able to come together and congregate and and to meet and sing praises in in your name. Not every nation on this planet has that capability. We thank you for this nation, Lord, but Lord, we, we also hurt for it because we see families being destroyed because of sin. Lord, I pray that you would rise up amongst the members of our church and the members of every other Bible-believing church in this country. And that people would see that the answers to racism don't, don't lie in a policy. They lie in heart changes that come from understanding your word and having a relationship with their creator. Or they will never learn to, to value someone who reflects your image if they don't value And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to do just that. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I apologize now to the teachers who are teaching our kids down the hall, because we'll end a couple minutes late because of that. But to me, I just couldn't, I could not, 
get past uh, seeing all the things I saw, saw this week and, and do that. Let's turn to Romans chapter 16. Can you believe we're nearing the end of Romans? We're, we're landing the plane here when it comes to the book of Romans. We're in the last chapter. And, uh, and, and so Paul's drawing his letter to a close. And from this point on, the, really the meat of everything that Paul has said is already behind us. We've already studied the, the general message of the book of Romans. Now he's, he's giving his final greetings, the very, a very personal touch to the end of his letter. And I have to be honest, I, uh, you know, I read, I read the, the greetings and I thought, how on earth, I mean, this is great, Paul, but how on earth am I supposed to preach this when it seems like he's just saying, greet you and greet this person, greet this person. I thought, man, that's going to be difficult to preach. And then I was reminded of 2 Timothy three sixteen. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. And uh, so I started studying it, and the Lord just kind of slapped me in the face a little bit because I got so much out of this. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I was reminded of, of how much there was. I want to take you on that journey with me. So let's take a closer look and, uh, and, and see what Paul, Paul's getting at with, with all of this. Here's a basic outline of where, where Paul takes us in chapter 16. We will not cover all of this this week, but just so you know, he's, he begins... Um, with a commendation for Phoebe, a commendation for Phoebe. She's the lady who brought the, physically brought the letter to the Roman churches. Uh, then we find his greetings, or uh, he, where he honors the saints in Rome. And, he, and he, he gives what I call Paul's honor roll. That's what we find in these verses uh, in Rome. And then, and then in uh, verse 3, there are those that Paul does not honor. I mean, that's very interesting. Uh, there are certain names left off left off the list, and, and it's, it's something kind of interesting that we'll, that we'll, we'll get into there as well, uh, probably next week. Uh, then the fourth thing is greeting from Paul's team. The first greetings are greetings to the Roman saints. Then he has a greeting from Paul's ministry team uh, as well, and then he closes with a wrap-up and benediction. That's where we're headed in the, in, as we land the, uh, the plane, so to speak, in Romans 16. So let's start with... Uh, the commendation for Phoebe. Let's read Romans chapter 16, verse, verse 1. We read, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria. Um, just a couple of observations there. First, uh, uh, Phoebe is the woman who was entrusted to carry Paul's letter to the churches in, uh, in Rome. She's called a sister, and uh, uh, obviously she's not a physical, biological sister of Paul. But a sister in the faith is the idea there. And then she's called a servant. Um, some, depending on which translation you have, it might even say deacon or deaconess in some of your translations. It's because the root word is the same word that we find for deacon. It's the word that means a servant. Um, and a couple different ways that could be taken. It could be taken as the office of a deacon. It could be taken as um, uh, literally as a waitress because the waitresses were called deacons. Or it could just be in the common sense of the word servant, which is what I believe it is in this, in this case. Um, but someone who, who serves the Lord. Um, and uh, it goes on to say she's a servant of the church in Centria. That's a, that's a port about nine miles east of Corinth, which is where Paul was when he wrote the letter of Romans. Then it goes on to say that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been my helper of many, or she has been a helper of many, and of myself also. And so here we uh, we find 
Paul asking the churches really for two things. Number one, hospitality. Uh, that's what it means when it says to receive her in a manner worthy of the saints. And then number two uh, would be to help her financially, you know, assist her in whatever business she has need because it costs money for her to get around and to take this letter all around. And so the churches would, would help cover that. And, uh, and that's an important. We call that borrowed credibility. They had no idea who Phoebe was. But Paul was saying, she has been a helper to me and to many people. So receive her just as you would receive me. Uh, that happened to me when, uh, when I, the first time I took some servant leaders courses and I was giving them in Ecuador. I had never been to Ecuador. I didn't know anyone in Ecuador. Uh, but my teammate, Cam Wolford, he had started a church there. And, and he knew the people very well. He had had contact with them over the years. And so he told them, hey, when Dave comes, treat him well. Treat him like, like you would treat me. And so it's borrowed credibility in a sense. And so when I went there... I, mean, I, could, I was overwhelmed with the hospitality that, uh, that they gave to me in Ecuador. In fact, they bought a house for me. It's about this big, and I have it on my shelf in my office. But they said, we, that's how much we love you. We wish, we wish you could get a big house, but here's a, a little house. And, uh, so they have a sense of humor there in Ecuador, too. But that's really what Paul's saying here. Phoebe is really probably one of the most commended people in the, in the chapter here because of, uh, uh, of that. And so this is how he asked them to receive her. And then he begins in his greetings. I'm going to read through all of them just so you get a feel for what, uh, for what uh, Paul was talking about in verses 3 through 16. So let's read all of verses 3 through 16, and then we'll walk through them a little bit slower. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trephena and Trephosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, uh, and uh, the brethren who are with them. Greet uh, Philologus and, Julius, and Julia, Nereus and his sister in Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Right, here we find this very personal greeting from Paul to some of the, the saints in Rome that, that he wanted to give special honor to them. Have you ever felt like you just wanted some recognition? We've all probably been there at some point where we felt like we, did, we just want to be recognized for something that we've done. Maybe that we felt that we haven't gotten the recognition that is, that is due us. Uh, and you know what? It's, it's kind of in our human nature to want recognition. Isn't that true? We just love to see our name somewhere in a recognizable place. In fact, as children, I mean... Uh, we, we, we find when you put a, a, a picnic table right out here, um, a brand new picnic table, you know how long it takes before we find that someone's carved their name on it? 
how long? I mean, if, if Scott's in here, he could probably tell you. But I think it was about 45 minutes right? that we had it out there. Scott went out 45 minutes later, and sure enough, someone's carved it. Why? Because there's something inside us that we, we want to be right. And we put our name out there, right? You know, Jack was here. And unless we think that that's only for kids, adults do the same thing. It's just that we like bigger, we like to put it in bigger places, right? <laughs> By the way, this is not a political statement, all right? So I'm just saying. Uh, by nature, this is how we are. You know, even in Christian and in, in Christianity, we find it. We have people who name uh, uh, name their ministries after themselves instead of after Christ. Isn't that true? And so we, we, we find that consistently. It's just part of our nature to to want to to see our name up somewhere in, in, in recognition. And you know what? Here's a chance where we have. We have a list of names that are not just carved in, in wood, not just put up in lights, not just pl- plastered on websites. Something that, is, that has been inscribed into the very inspired word of God which lasts forever. Do you think that's important? Of course it's important. And, and so here we have, uh, we have a chance to see how God has honored people for something that they have done. And so I think it's, it's worth giving it the attention that it deserves, don't you? Let's look through those uh, a little bit more. I call this, again, uh, Paul's honor roll, right? Let's, let's take a quick look at some of the names on here. There's some interesting things that we'll note. First, we found uh, Priscilla and Aquila in verses 3 through the first half of verse 5. Now, these aren't strange names to us. If you've read the, the book of Acts, and, and we first meet them in Acts 18, they were tent makers by trade. They were driven out of Rome by the Emperor Claudius and uh, uh, back in 52 AD. They went to Corinth where they met Paul, who also knew how to make tents. He, Paul was a tent maker by trade, so they, they kind of connected on that level. There they accepted Christ through Paul's ministry. Within two years, they joined Paul's ministry, ministry team and they traveled with him because you can make tents anywhere. So that's what they did. They took their, tents, their tent making business with them and actually helped support Paul's missionary missions trips. And so they went with them to Ephesus. And while serving in Ephesus, in fact, it was them who heard a great speaker in the, in the public square. And they hear a great speaker named Apollos who was preaching a great message but without Christ. I mean, a great Old Testament understanding. And uh, so they went and said, hey, can we talk with you? They talked with Apollos and said, let us share with you who Jesus Christ is because he's the fulfillment of everything you're talking about. And Apollos accepted Christ and became one of the, the, the largest men of impact in the early church. In fact, Paul mentions Apollos in 1 Corinthians 13. Or not in 1 Corinthians, not chapter 13. and uh, chapter 3. Um, and so we see them having this great amount of influence in Acts 19, just one chapter in, we find that there was an uproar in Ephesus. And uh, you might remember that the Christianity was catching on. And so a lot of people quit buying idols. And so those who made the idols were pretty ticked off. right? And so there was a big uproar. And, and they, were, they were part of that process of, and of being, going through that with Paul. That's probably what he means when he says they were willing to risk their necks for, for me and for the gospel. Some, some great, a great man and woman of the Lord. He goes on, uh, next he talks about Epinetus in, in, uh, in verse 5b. In, in verse 5b, who was the first convert, really, in the province of Asia. The first convert. What is, what's the implication here? Here is a man who not only received the gospel, but then he gave it to others, who gave it to others, who gave it to others. And then all of a sudden you see this huge church begin in the province of Asia. 
I mean, that's exactly what our church statement is here. Making disciples who make disciples who make disciples, right? That's what we want to see done here. Epinetus was one of those. In verse 6, we find Mary. It doesn't say a whole lot about her, uh, uh, but, but it does say this. We read, greet my beloved, uh, or excuse me, verse 6. Greet Mary who labored much for us. That's all it says. In fact, she's oftentimes called from here out, Mary the toiler. Why? Because she toiled, she worked, she labored. She may not have been a great speaker, she may not have been an evangelist, but she worked hard. And Paul says that's worthy of honor. Does that make sense? That, that was worthy of honor. And here her name is carved in the word of God. Goes on in verse, uh, verse 7. Talks about Andronicus and Junia. They stood so strong for their faith that they were jailed for it. They were put in prison for where they actually met Paul. They actually spent time in prison together. Andronicus and Junia. They were famous among the apostles. You know, it, it's one thing to be famous in the world. It's another thing to be famous amongst the apostles. These were apostles. These guys were writing scripture. And they looked up to Andronicus and Junia. They knew. And they, they, they were excited for their ministry. Then uh, we come to verse 8. And, uh, and we find uh, Amplius. Some translations might say uh, Ampliatus. It's the, same, it's the same person. It's Amplius is just the, the shorter names. Like the difference between Dave and David. So don't worry uh, too much about it. It's the same person. But Amplius. In fact, I, this is one of my favorite ones. I like archaeology. And so... Uh, when I studied this one, found some really interesting things. He is actually one of the very few people from that century that we've actually discovered his tomb. Isn't that kind of cool? Uh, his, uh, we've discovered his, his tomb. It's well decorated. It's in the, it's, it was found in the catacombs of Rome in the cemetery of Domitilla. Um, it's interesting, too. Uh, Amplius is not a name that a son gives to a father. It's a name that a slave owner gives to a slave. So he was, he was obviously born in slavery. Uh, he was most likely ended up being killed in the Colosseum. We don't know if it was as a, as a gladiator or as a martyr. Um, but in any case, the fact that his, his, his tomb was so well decorated, uh, it implies that he was at least popular amongst the spectators. But here was a man who didn't even have his freedom. But somehow he, he promoted Christ even as... A man without freedom. Isn't that something? What do you think about that? Um, what an incredible story. Then we find Urbanus and Stachus in verse 9. It doesn't say much about them. All it says is that they, that they were beloved. They, they somehow encouraged Paul. They, they, they were uh, hospitable towards Paul. We find in verse 10, we find Apelles. All we know about Apelles is that he was tested and approved. What that means, he, he went through the ringer. We don't know what exactly went through his, through his life. To me, I picture a modern-day Job, right? And we say, here was a guy who he was tested, and he came out approved. Wow, what a statement. I would love to stand before the Lord one day and say, there's David, he was tested and approved. Wouldn't you? I'm not asking for tests, <laughs> right? Wow, what a, what a compliment. What, a, what an honor. Then in the second half of verse 10, we, we find... Uh, the household of Aristobulus. Now, this is interesting to, to get an entire household. Uh, Aristobulus, by the way, was a grandson to King Herod the Great. He became close friend of, of Emperor Claudius as well. And when he died, his entire household, including all of their servants, uh, became the servants of the new emperor. So they held much influence. That was considered an honor to be, uh, to be there to serve 
amongst them. And then he points out one of the household of Aristobulus in particular, and that this is a Herodian. In fact, we find that in verse, in verse uh, 11a. We find Herodian, one of the household of Aristobulus, who actually still bore part of the name of, of Herod. And then we find uh, Narcissus in the second half of the verse. Uh, Narcissus actually began his life as a slave and worked his way up to becoming the personal secretary of Emperor Claudius. And when Claudius was murdered, Nero took his place and took over the household of Narcissus as well. We have Pers- uh, uh, or, uh, Trifena and Trifosa, which is, which is kind of interesting. You know what their names mean? Their names mean dainty and delicate. They're sisters. And their names were dainty and delicate. These were names that, that uh, were given amongst aristocracy, rich people. And their names would fit, dainty and delicate, right? Uh, people who would not like to get their hands uh, dirty. However, look at, what, look at what it says in verse 12. It says, Greek Trifena and Trifosa, who have labored in the Lord. In other words, they, they did work. In spite of their names, they were the hard workers. I just think the irony of that is pretty cool. Then there's Persis as well. We don't know much about him. We, know, we just know that he was beloved, and we know that he labored. And one of, the, one of my favorite ones here, then, is, and we, as we find in verse 13, is Rufus and his mom. Just to give you an idea who Rufus was, you might go, go all the way back to the crucifixion. Jesus Christ was, was working his way down what's called the Via Dolorosa. Uh, those who speak Spanish know exactly what that means, right? Because uh, it's so close to Latin. It really means the, the painful road. So Jesus was walking the painful road. He had been beaten, and, and, and he was getting ready to be crucified. He was asked to carry his own cross. He's carrying his own cross, and he comes to the point where he just can't do it anymore, and he stumbles and falls. Remember that? And then the Roman centurion looks for someone in the crowd, and he points out at an, an individual in, a, in the crowd and says, I want you to carry his cross for him. And so he points out a man from Africa, from Cyrene, actually, and, and uh, uh, his name was Simon. Well, that must have really had an impact on Simon's life because his two sons, one being Alexander and the other being Rufus, both went on to do great things for the Lord. Alexander did some awesome things for the Lord. He, was, he had a, a great testimony. In fact, he was one of the ones who sent a rescue team to, to rescue Paul from Ephesus, right? And, uh, and, and what a, a brave brave man, had a great influence for the, for the Lord. Rufus did the same thing, but he did it from Rome. He went to Rome. This is the son of Simon the Cyrene. I mean, what, a, what an amazing story. But he, Paul not only, not only points out to Rufus, but he says, and, and his mom, and my mom also. Now, no one would guess that Paul and Rufus were biologically related, right? I mean, uh, Paul was, was Roman, and, and Rufus was, was African, right? His dad was from Cyrene. So no one would look at them and, and call them twins. In fact, there was one guy at, uh, uh, when I worked at Lake Ann as a counselor, one guy that everyone, we, we would refer to each other as our, our twins because we were so much alike in personalities. But he was really tall and had red, curly hair. And people would say, you guys are twins? <laughs> Well, imagine that beyond, even, even more, with, with Paul here. And he's saying, your mom is my mom, really. And 
so he had this relationship, in spite of not being from the same family. And what you find is there's this relationship that, that Paul had with Rufus and with Rufus' mom, where she was just, she's being honored for being the kind of person who's a mom to everyone. You know anyone like that? In fact, we, have, we have people even in this room who are known by others as mom or dad, even though they're not moms or dads, or grandma or grandpa, even though you're not grandmas and grandpas. Why? It's because of this relationship uh, that, that is so close that, that, you, that you build with people that it's, and so intimate that we refer to them as family. Even I visited uh, Aiden. He's working up at a camp last week. I visited him, and, uh, and he had to get permission to go out with, with Monica and me, um, which, which makes sense. He's got a schedule. And so he went, and I noticed that he went to the, the, the guy in charge of him, and he said, Hey, Dad. Wow, that's cool. Here, three weeks, and this guy has built a relationship with my son, to where, and all of the other support staff called him Dad. Isn't that cool? And, and, uh, and God honors it. Paul honors it right here in his word. Then in verse 14, uh, I'm just going to put Christian businessmen. They've got, uh, they've got some names here, but uh, uh, it's Greek, Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who were with them. This was just a group of men of, of upper class. They, they were businessmen who got together, and they, they were reaching the upper class. Then we, then we go on to the next one, and we find Philologus in verse 15. By the way, Philologus isn't even a name. That's, it's not a name. That's a nickname. Right? And Phil comes from the word for love. Lagus comes from the word logic or, or words. It's translated sometimes. And so it literally means someone who, who loves logic or loves words. You know, it's kind of like bookworm, right? And so Paul said, hey, a Greek bookworm. You know, he's... He's referring to him on his, in, his, in this intimate nickname uh, level of someone who obviously loved, loved words, loved to read, um, and, and uh, loved logic. Then he goes on uh, to talk about Julia, Nereus, and Nereus' sister. So it's a husband-wife combo with a sister of, of the one. We don't know a whole lot. I, I, we don't know a whole lot about them. We don't know a, lot of, uh, a whole lot about Olympus and their friends. Uh, but Paul saw things in, in these people that, that were worthy of note and worthy to put their names in inspired word of God. Now, I don't want you to remember, memorize all those names. That's not the point. But I, I share them because, because if Paul thought that these people needed to be honored, then I think that they need to be honored too. Don't you? But as I looked at this list, I could not help but notice some things. Here are some observations about the honor roll. And there's, there's five of them that that I came across. Number one, it crosses over every social strata. Did you notice that when you, when you read those names? I mean, you've got royalty from the house of Aristobulus, Herodian, for example. You've got aristocracy, Trifena, Trifosa. You've got businessmen, high-class, white-collar businessmen, right? Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermas, etc. You've got culturally important people uh, like Narcissus, secretary to the emperor. And then you've got tent makers like Aquila and Priscilla. You've got ex-slaves like Amplius. You've got common workers like Mary. Isn't it interesting to you that when God honors people, it has nothing to do, nothing to do with their social level? Does that make sense? See, as people, we sometimes get impressed by that. Like, wow, I just talked to 
the governor, or I just talked to someone important. And does that impress God? Not at all. You think God ever shakes in his boots because he's going to meet somebody? <laughs> no. Right? Neither should we. We should, we should value everybody. And it should have nothing to do with social strata. And that's exactly what we see here. Paul's talking about big people. Mary is on the same list with Aristobulus. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's the great equalizer when you see things from God's perspective. Here's another, another observation. Uh, it crosses over ethnic barriers. Right? You have Greeks, like Priscilla and Aquila. You've got Jews, like Mary. You've got Romans, like Andronicus and Junia. You've got an African, like Rufus and, and his mom. And so it doesn't matter where you're from. It, it, it crosses over all of those ethnic barrier, barriers. Paul did not push one over the other. He, he, was, he was pushing a whole conglomeration of people here. Does that make sense? And, and so, it ha- again, it has nothing to do with social strata. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. Uh, it, we also see that it crosses over gender barriers. You know, typically back in those days, you would try to mention the men, not, not mention the women. Paul mentions women as much as he does men here. It doesn't matter uh, if, they're, they're, if they're male or female. Uh, they're powerful. And they can be powerful in influence for God. Amen? In fact, Christianity has done more to, to, to address the value of women than, than anything else in history. In fact, there are religions that, that push against that. The Koran says the value of a woman is exactly the half, half of the value of a man. But the Bible says right from Genesis, male and female, he created them in his image. Right? And so, so it has nothing to do. There, 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 it does, it does, in fact, the woman that he chose, he entrusted with the task of, ta- uh, of taking the, the book of Romans to them. It was a woman. Right? So, so this, should, this should make sense to us because I think hopefully by now everyone, at least that's here, would know that, that the Bible considers male and female as reflections of his image. Amen? We, don't, we do not devalue anyone based on their social strata or their ethnic, ethnicity nor their gender. goes on. I'll, uh, two more observations. One more. It, it crosses levels of skilled labor. I mean, you've got businessmen, right, listed alongside of, of common workers. In Christianity, too, you have, you have your big-name Christians, right? You have your C.S. Lewis's, and, and you have some of the big names. And, but you also have people who, who are unknown. In fact, there's one example I'm going to share, and I still don't know his last name. But when I went to Baptist Bible College, uh, every year there was, a, uh, there was a chapel where there were certain, um, certain scholarships that were passed out publicly. And uh, so throughout, depending on what you did throughout the year, you were given some type of, of scholarship. And they did this during the one chapel. And then there was one that was called the Terry Something uh, Scholarship. I, I don't even remember the last name. And, um, and so it was for $1,000 every six months it was given out. Uh, so $2,000 a year that this person gave out. And I didn't know too many Terry's. I knew one Terry growing up. I knew one Terry who was a nurse up at Lake Ann. And, uh, uh, and uh, it's spelled differently. And then there was one Terry who was a janitor at the school. There was only three Terry's I knew. And so just to me, I thought, hey, some, probably some rich guy giving $1,000. And great, you know, that's great. Little did I know that Terry worked at Baptist Bible College as a janitor. And he was the janitor. 
and he loved the Lord with all his heart. He loved what, what Baptist Bible College was doing and training pastors. And, and so he just said, you know what, what can I do? And he, he, couldn't, he couldn't get a degree. You know, he wasn't a super intelligent guy. Uh, he didn't have any degrees. He didn't have the ability to teach it. But he wanted to participate in that ministry, so he took a job there as, as a janitor. But he not only took, it, took on the job as a janitor, he, he, he decided that his life goal was going to be encourage the students. And so every time he came across a, stu- uh, a student, which is a lot when you're a janitor, especially if, if you're in Schaefer Dorm where we, the janitor was needed a lot, right? Um, you know, because we played hockey upstairs, a lot is bad. But, um, but we got to know, and we got to know and love this guy. And every time he came across our path, he tried to encourage us in one way or another. Isn't that cool? And so here was, now, does, does he have a big name? I don't even remember his, what his last name was. But I, I remember the feeling when I realized that, that he gave what little he had for those scholarships because he loved the ministry. I'll tell you what, when we, when we, when we throw away all the social strata and when we throw away all the human ways of judging each other and when we see how God honors people, I guarantee you, Terry something is going to be lifted up. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? I mean, God's going to lift them up. And so, and why? Because all these things that we tend to value people, and we're, we're, we're man-fearers by nature, and we tend to fear people based on all these outside things, their popularity, their money, their, their whatever it might be. And God's saying none of that matters. It crosses, his honor roll crosses social strata, crosses ethnic barriers, skill barriers, and lastly, I would say, crosses uh, levels of notoriety, the popularity. Everyone knew the house of of Aristobulus. Everyone knew Andronicus and Junia. They were well known among the apostles, as it even says. And and so when you looked at this, you've got got all all of these things, and and the divine honor has nothing to do with any of them. Isn't that cool? Divine honor has nothing to do with race, social status, gender, skill level, notoriety, nothing. Why were they honored? I found three things. When I'm looking at when I look through this list and study them, there are three things that seem to pop up an awful lot. Number one, they were honored for their faithfulness. Right? They were honored for their faithfulness. They found their role in the Great Commission and they stuck to it. In fact, when Jesus was explaining what it's going to be like for us, and he uses a story to explain what it's going to be like for us. When we stand before God and and we're judged by his standard, Jesus uses a story, and we call it the story of the talents or the parable of the talents. And in Matthew 25, he he tells a story of of a businessman who entrusts five talents to one man, two talents to another man, and one talent to another man. And says, I'll come back and I want to see how you've invested it. The man who had received five talents went out and what did he do? He turned it into five more. And then the man who was given two talents went out and what did he do? He came back and he, had, he brought back two more. And the one who was given one talent went out and he squandered it. He hid it and didn't turn it into anything. Right? But if you notice, the response that Jesus gave to the one who gave five talents, or who invested the five talents and came up with five, and the one who, came, who was given two talents and came up with two, his response to them is exactly the same. What does he say? He says, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. doesn't matter if you were given five and you turn it into ten, or if you were given two or you turn it into four. Because it's not the amount that you accomplish that God's looking for. What's he looking for? He's looking for faithfulness and goodness. You do what is right, and you 
do it faithfully. He goes on to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What's he teaching us? The goal is not to accomplish everything we can on earth. That might not sound very positive for a moment. The goal is not to accomplish everything. The goal is to be faithful to do everything that he's called us to do on earth. Because he's got plans for us beyond that. Stuff beyond what we can even understand. I think it would blow our minds. Otherwise, he would have included it in scripture. But he's got something in mind. And so he's looking for faithfulness. He's looking for the Terry's of this world. Not just those who are popular or get their name in lights. Does that make sense? And, uh, and so we find that they're honored for their faithfulness. The second thing that we see in there is diligence. How many times does the word uh, labor show up in this passage? A lot. He's saying, he's saying they're honored. Why? Because they labored. They worked hard. You find Mary in verse 6. Uh, Urbanus in verse 7. Trephena, Trephosa in verse 12. Just examples of people who worked hard. And Paul honors them. For that, he, he honors them for working hard. And then the third thing I would say is resolve. Resolve. In other words, that they never gave up. They were willing to continue in spite of adversaries. They never gave up. I'll give a couple examples. One would be Aquila and Priscilla. Look, let's look again at what it said in verse 4. Who risked their own necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. They risked their life for, for the gospel, for the furtherance of the gospel. And, and if, let's be honest, for many times we won't even risk public shame for Jesus Christ. We don't speak the gospel out because we're afraid people might ridicule us. Aquila and Priscilla are honored because they had resolve. Oh, you mean we might have to risk our lives to do this? Count me in. That's something that's worth being honored for. Right? I mean, it, it, when you think of some of the, the terrible tragedies that have happened in our country, I think take 9-11, for example, we, we don't honor people for, for running away. We honor our, our firefighters and our police officers for running towards tragedy. Right? We honor them for that. Why? Because it's that, they deserve honor for that. It's the same. We, we should be honored because of our resolve where we go in and we charge in where, where, where there's a need and we charge in. And maybe if we risk our lives to do it, but we do it anyway. Right? We have, we have a lot of honorable people on the list of our, of, our, of our missionaries in the back. Some of them risk their lives on a daily basis. That's honorable. Uh, it's the resolve. And one other example would be Andronicus and Junia. They went to prison for their faith. You know, is that what it would take to shut us up for giving out the gospel? Or is it simply, well, it's not politically correct to talk about the gospel anymore, so we just stop? Now, they had resolve. They had resolve. You know, As, as believers, this should, be, this should be the goal for all of us. To be faithful. Find our role in the Great Commission. I don't care what it is. 
whether it's, whether it's to be a great author or a singer or, or whether it's just to work hard in the church. But be faithful. Be diligent. Do it, do it well and do it with resolve. Don't ever let any, anything stop you. Is that how you would describe, if you think about it, the, the, the church in the world today? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. How do we change that one, one at a time? We, we say, well, we, I'm going to find my role. I'm going to do it diligently. And I'm going to do it with resolve. It's really what today's application is all about. For sake of time, this is where I'll stop for this week. We'll finish the rest of the chapter next week. And uh, so you can just put it on the black screen for right now. Don't, go, don't worry about the what about you page uh, for right now. But I want to ask you just a couple of questions for introspection. Number one, how will you be honored by God? Think about it for a moment. And, I mean, life is short. I, I don't care if you live to be 110. That's pretty short in light of eternity. How will you be honored by God? If the Lord were to come back today, and if you were to stand before him, what would he say to you? Would, would his words be, well done, good and faithful servant? Or would it be, wow, there's so much potential that just wasn't realized? How would you be honored by God today? Secondly, I want to, I want to ask you, do you seek recognition for your accomplishments? Or for your, for your status in the world? Or are you striving for faithfulness, diligence, and resolve? Let's bow our heads and, and close our eyes. And in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If, if the Lord's working in you and just saying, saying to you, I want, I've got a job for you to do. And today, you're just making the commitment that I am willing to, to do whatever it is God's called me to do. Maybe you don't even know what that job is. But you're saying, I am willing to do whatever it is that God has called me to do. And I'm going to ask you just to come forward and say a prayer to the Lord, a prayer of commitment. And say, Lord, today I am, I am committing to be resolved to you, to be faithful in whatever you, it is that you've called me to do. And if that's you today, I'm just going to give you a chance to respond. I won't interrupt you. It's a conversation between you and God. I also want to say that if there's anyone here today that would have to say, Pastor Dave, I, I don't know for sure if, I've, if I even qualify. I'm, I'm not only not on the honor roll list, I might not be on the list at all. I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to tell you that you do not have to leave here today without knowing for sure that you have eternal life. Just as 20 people did in this past week, they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I want to give that opportunity to you as well. And so when we sing in just a moment, I want to give you the opportunity. You can come forward, you can come talk to me, or you can work your way to the back. We have men and women with a lanyard that says, ask me. They can show you from God's word how you can know for sure you have eternal life. And we would rejoice in that. There'd be nothing more exciting for us than to hear that someone has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and changed their eternal destiny. So let me pray, and then we'll sing and give, give an opportunity to respond. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, our, our goal is to be honored, but not, not in the way that, that we desire by human nature, not to be honored for our accomplishments or our popularity, not even for our skills, Lord. 
or where we are in the social strata around us. Lord, we reject all of those things. We want to be honored by you for being faithful stewards. And Lord, I pray that right now, even as, as I pray, you would work in the hearts of some in this room to light a fire under them and say, I'm not going to follow the patterns of the world. I'm not going to just relax and drift my way through life. But I'm going to find my role in the Great Commission and I'm going to do it diligently, faithfully, with resolve. Lord, you know my heart. My, my heart is that you would raise up an army in this church. That we would get out there and get the gospel out there into a world that needs it. Lord, all we have to do is turn on the news and we see how lost we are as a culture and as a country. And they need us. I pray that you raise us up and send us. I pray this in Christ's name.